This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Evolution Medical Care. Evolution Medical Care is a proud provider of traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, Chinese herbal medicine, electroacupuncture, laser acupuncture, cupping therapy, and remedial massage. Want to get on top of your health? They listen. At Evolution Medical Care, they'll diagnose the areas that they can help with, and they'll provide you with a practical solution. Whether it be improving your fertility, reducing back pain, promoting positive mental states, or just trying to stay on top of general good health, Evolution Medical Care is the place for you. We are also brought to you by T8 Run. T8 Running Gear, designed by runners for runners. T8 Run Sherpa shorts carry all your running essentials in your waist belt. These can hold up to one kilo or two liters with minimal bounce. Ultralight, super cool, chafe-free. Their commandos are 100% chafe-free. They are running underwear made from premium Italian fabrics. T8 Run is offering Hong Kong $50 off all orders using a special code that I'll leave in the details of this episode of the podcast. Substituting normality. I'm really excited for this guest. He's the CEO of Child Safe Australia. Neil, how are you going? Yeah, great. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. Mate, um, Child Safe Australia, I've recently linked up with you through, um, through the likes of Damien Ryder and... We've got a little connection going on there, and now we've started something that um, is going to be quite special in the future. We've still got um, a long process to come till the event that we're trying to pull off. But, um, mate, can you tell give us a bit of background of um, what is Child Safe Australia? What do you guys do? Yeah, so Child Safe Australia is a not-for-profit harm prevention charity of over 12 years, and, uh, and we work with organizations to prevent harm and abuse of children. And so what we do is, in order to do that, we have created tools and services specifically to align organisations to their legal requirements, but also to build a culture of child safety. Um, we, also, uh, we, we also support parents as well. And so what that means is that we help them to give the tools. We give them the tools um, so they can navigate this space in um, isolation, but mm-hmm. also just as a parent in general. Yep. Uh, and um, yeah, helping them with not, it might be online safety or you know e-learning kind of stuff, yep. or even just you know being a parent and making sure that they're talking to their children about body safety, etc. Yeah. So you guys create these modules as um, an educational experience for um, parents, kids online. Um, is is this to make them aware of? the signs of child abuse or is this um to say hey this is my body and that's not on what what is the whole purpose of the online educational thing yeah yeah so it's both so we do um we do online training and within our online training we also do face-to-face but our online training features um you know there's a bit of risk management stuff in there but there's also about um you know what is abuse and what to look for and how to respond uh, and to make sure that, you know, us as adults and leaders of children are making sure that we are aware of the signs so that if a child does come to us or we notice something that's not right, we can actually respond straight away and the child can be heard, listened to, and we can report that, that incident. 
Yeah. And the other thing is that, um, uh, yeah, we also help help parents to help understand that that you know it's really important to make sure you're using the right names for body parts. Um, and so, you know, I, I've heard of many stories around parents who have actually done that and said, you know, penis, vagina, and and all that sort of stuff. And and, and basically, what happens is um, their child has come home and said this teacher touched me here, touched me there, touched yeah. me there, and used those names. Yeah. And therefore, that was how they were able to get the police involved, et cetera, et cetera. Because yeah. if you, you know, I was listening to a radio station uh, recently and um, they were talking about uh, pet names, right, yeah. and um, for body parts and stuff. And the problem is pet names don't hold up in a court of law. Yeah. So if we are teaching our children and we might say Willie or whatever it is, well, Willie is probably a name for William, you know? Yeah. And so, like, what does that... We're going to make sure that we're actually using that, those, um, those right body parts. And, yeah, we teach them. We connect with other, you know, writers and organisations around helping them understand um, how to talk to their children about body safety and to understand the importance of why that's needed. Well, well it makes sense. Um... Well, a penis is a penis, a vagina is a vagina. It makes sense that that's what you call it. So I don't see why, we, right. why we would go making up these other names um, for these body parts that um, don't really exist. So, And I've just been looking on your website and one in three adults would not believe their children um, if they came up and said to them, they've touched me here, they've touched me there. And is that because of maybe they've give, they've been taught to call them these names or no i think that's um yeah that one in three adults wouldn't believe a child if they disclosed um that they've been sexually abused is because um still there's a stigma around abuse child abuse that says that a child could make this stuff up right but the other statistic is that it's 98 percent of children who have said that they're abused are actually telling the truth. And so what that means, and this is the most devastating part, is that means that if a child goes to an adult, right, um, they don't believe them, they go to another adult, they don't believe them, it's going to have to take them another person to go to in order for that adult to be believed, uh, that child to be believed by an adult. I mean, that... You know, the average age of a child... So if a child doesn't disclose that they've been sexually abused at a young age, it takes them an average of 25 years before they disclose that they have been sexually abused. Wow. that, that That's astonishing to hear something like that. Um, it, it, it doesn't make sense as to why um, some... If you're a parent to a child, that they would question... I guess something like that, or maybe they are talking about a um a close family member, and they just don't want to they don't want to believe it. Maybe they're in disbelief the, about the situation. They say, "Nah, he he couldn't do that. Like, don't worry about it. It was probably nothing." Um, and you might yeah. I don't know if you might find that in a kid that's really out there, and he tells fibs all the time. Like, you know that he lies about um little things like. Oh, did you put your did you put your toothbrush away? Did you brush your teeth? Um, yeah, I did, but he didn't. And then when it comes, you, he's just known to tell little porkies here and there. And then he comes with this big thing, and you'll think, oh no, he's just lying. Is that? Did you find that that happens? Yeah, I think uh, I think that 
I think that it also comes to the other statistic that 97% of abuse cases, um, the abuser knows their attacker. And so what that means is in the statistics show that the number one adult that is abusing a child is either a mom, a dad, a grandma, grandpa, family member, neighbor, uncle, auntie, etc. And so, you know, if you if if you know someone really really well, right, mm-hmm. and your child goes to you and says that this person has sexually abused me, or or might might use other terms or and other acting out or whatever, um, what's your first response? You know, your first response should be. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, you know, tell me more. Let's. Well, I'm gonna. We're gonna support you, and we're gonna work through this. Da da da. But the innate response that a lot of adults have, because they're not aware or understand or think that it couldn't happen or whatever, um, they their response like, Nah, John. Nah, I've known John forever. Yeah. He wouldn't touch a fly. He wouldn't hurt anyone. Nah, he's not sexual at all. He wouldn't know all this sort of stuff. And so, I think that has a lot to play with that. Yeah. 100% I think I do. Um, Just the statistics are so high with, you're saying 97% of children know their attacker. Um, Mm. To people, it's just, it's got, you're getting gobsmacked by this. People you know are doing this. Um, It's quite unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the most unbelievable yeah. part about it, to me. Um, you'd think yep. it would be some random, just walking by and stuff like that, and in some cases it might be, but we're saying ninety-seven percent of people who are sexually abused know their attacker, and that that me just being a new father, that's something that's quite scary, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I, I there's this there's this um, there's this myth. And one of the things we talk about in our training is that there's a myth that says it's the old guy that hangs around in the toilets, right? Now, we're not saying that that doesn't happen, but that is very rare. That's a 3% type thing, you know, very, very rare. It's actually probably going to be, um, you know, it could be a mom or a dad or it could be um, an auntie and uncle staying at a a friend's house, whatever it is. And I think the thing is... um, it is so scary because you as a dad, and I'm a dad as well, uh, <clears throat> we don't want to see anything happen to our child or anyone else's child. And to think that, you know, the guy down the road or the guy next door or, mm-hmm. or our auntie, uncle, or grandma, grandpa, whatever, could do this is, is heartbreaking. We don't want to believe that. But unfortunately, we live in a world which is broken and um, there are people who are evil yeah. and want to hurt children. And if we're not aware that this could occur, then we won't take actions and steps to prevent it. Yeah, and it just seems it, it seems to me like um, it's it's not really going to go away, but there are ways that we can prevent it from happening. And I feel like that's what you guys are doing so perfectly is giving people the educational tools um, for the signs of your children and people around you um, of the steps you need to take to reduce the risk of this happening to your child. Mm, Absolutely, yeah. And um, do you think it it has gotten a bit harder? Child safety has been around for 12 so years. 
has it gotten a bit harder since the technology has risen over time with now we got all that social media it's massive now have you have you found your child savers has to change the way they look at things and the way they attack things yeah absolutely i, I think um you know originally we were only working with um you know churches and and um and those types of organizations but now since especially the last two or three years we've focused on sporting clubs and um, other non-for-profits and councils and things like that uh, because there is a weakness uh, within those organisations because they're filled with volunteers, they're filled with um, people that are trying to do 50,000 things in the club just to try to keep it going. Yeah. And child safety, there's an implicitness of parents to say, oh, well, I just want my children to be safe, you know, mm-hmm. and they expect the club to look after them, but the club might not be actually doing what they legally should be doing, yeah. but also what they culturally should be doing. I think let's just come back to that question before and I said that old guy in the toilets or whatever it is, right? Um the average age of an abuser is under thirty-five. Wow! And and so it's not it's not the 80, 90, 70, 60 year old guy in the toilets that we need to really worry about so much. It's actually about those that are close to us that are showing extra interest in our children, um, providing gifts for them when you know they don't need to be um, asking to sleep, have kids sleep over, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and so I think for us, I think the reason why the age limit has kind of dropped more is because of online. Um, there was a massive sting recently. The AFP uh, did this, uh, Australian Federal Police, and they, um, they did an international sting and they arrested people, um, 16 arrests or whatever it was. Uh, but there were 700 and over 700 charges, you know, and this is a because what happens is a lot of the online side of things these uh, child predators, they work in groups, right? So if one gets arrested, the thing doesn't go down. And so it just continues and continues. Um, And so, uh, and and a lot of parents aren't aware that this is actually happening online. Hmm. Um, On the 29th of May, uh, 29th of April, next week, we've actually got cyber safety expert, uh, Susan McLean, doing a free Facebook Live on our Child Safe Australia Facebook page at 3.30pm and she's going to be addressing a lot of this stuff um, around online safety in this in this side for parents. And I think the thing is that that um, that I, I think the thing is that, that internet is really, really safe 99% of the time, yeah. you know, but 1%, that 1% where a parent um, doesn't really care about what their children are on they don't care what apps they're on. They don't care where they're looking at things, like whether they're in their, in their bedrooms or whether, it, wherever, yeah. you know, and they're using it as a babysitting device or, you know, they're not concerned or connected. Yeah. What happens there is that um, perpetrators can groom online. They can connect with them in ways that are uh, just disgusting, um, often inviting um, naked photos and things like that. And these are happening in bedrooms of mm. kids under 10 years old, yeah. you know. Like it's just, it's, it's absolutely disgusting. But the reality is as child safe, what we're trying to do is help organisations understand what they need to be doing and why they should be doing it. Yeah. And so we've created safe environments for over 260,000 kids. And the way we've done that is because people put our tools and services in place and we know that that creates a safe environment. Now, what we can't do is it can't handhold. 
Yeah. You know, we're three full-time staff in Australia. We can't handhold. We can give them everything they need and support them, but we can't make them do it. I think that's the thing is that there's enough education out there, yeah. but I, I saw a statistic recently that said that there's, um, there's a number of adults, and I can't remember what percentage is, that's why I'm not saying it, but it's quite high, that still don't believe that there's an issue of child abuse in Australia. Wow. <laughs> that, that, <Yep>. I don't know where they get that from because it's, um, now that I've been, you know, more going more in depth myself about this all, that, um, it seems to be, uh, everywhere a lot more than not, to be honest. Mm, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so those, um, I guess the things that the parents are doing with the kids on their devices and, you know, the little things, the preventative measures, like you're only allowed to sit in the lounge room, um, tell me all your passwords, um, you've got an hour, you can only use these apps. I guess those are the kind of preventative measures that parents need to put in. And I've seen um, my parents put in on me when I, when I was growing up and now it's happening to my little sister and stuff like that. And it's, I guess, um, as you said, use it as a babysitting tool, but it actually could be doing great damage that you're very unaware of until major things happen, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I've spoken to many parents that wouldn't know about, you know, that their child's on Fortnite or on TikTok or on House Party. Those three apps alone are incredibly dangerous, incredibly dangerous. There was a major thing called um, that uh, came out just recently about TikTok. Now, TikTok is this massive dancing app um, to music and, you know, it's meant to be this fun thing. But what people don't understand is that your data is being sold to another country and they've been fined for it, but they're just paying the fine and just keep going. And the worst part about it is, is parents are like, well, you know, my child is uh, under 13, but that's okay. You know, they can use the app. Everyone in school is doing it, so therefore it must be okay. The problem is, is they're selling that data, which is their address, everything around um, their location, etc., and they're actually selling it, and all under 13 years old, and therefore all of these people, and they're selling it to the black market, which yeah. pedophiles are in, um, predators are in, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's a big problem. And so I guess, you know, like I said, heaps of the internet's great and it's fantastic, but the reality is that there are so many, the hype of a new app yeah. and um, the expectation that it's going to be safe but isn't, um, is really incredibly dangerous. Yeah. And there are so many apps that are um, are not meant for under 13-year-olds, but they are. Um, and even over 13 year as well, there's got to be actually some stipulations of, of what you do. I mean, I, I'm at the moment thinking about a mobile phone for my son. Um, he's got an intellectual disability um, and, uh, and goes to a special school. And the thing is, is that he's been having the old Nokia 3310, right? I bought him one of those and... Yeah. And uh, that's been great, but he's shown some really good restraint and um, he doesn't go on the internet like that. And so we're thinking about getting his first smartphone, right? He's just about turned 14 and and I've been researching and things like that. But at the end of the day, there's no step-by-step process of how to make your smartphone um, safe. Yeah. There is, you, you have to do the research as a parent to work out the, um, 
the privacy settings, how to turn off the internet, what apps need to be turned off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, you, you have to take the F. And I think the thing is, the question that parents need to ask themselves is, one, do they want to see their child abused? No, they don't want to see a child abused. Then how far will you go to make sure that doesn't happen? Do we put them in a bubble? Like, do we just yeah. chuck them in a bubble and say, don't go into this world, it's so bad. Yeah. No, it's actually about teaching that resilience and that understanding to know um, what to say no to and what to say yes to, yeah. and especially not being manipulated by their friends or other family members to do something they should be doing. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I think when we all go online, we, um, we sign up to a new app, you just go and you click the T's and C's because you, basically if you don't click the T's and C's, you're not going to get on that app. You're not going to sign up. No, you're not allowed to sign yep. up. Yep. And that's, that's right. um, and not, I'm probably going to say 99.99% of us do not read the T's and C's. You just sign yep. up. And um, that's the scary thing about selling data overseas and stuff like that. And there is a big issue with um, massive pedophile rings and stuff like that. And, you know, they all work together. And it's really, when you actually start diving deep into what's going on in the world and the bad things that are happening, it is really, really scary. Um, and it's not something we hear a lot about at all, really. Um, you know, you see the the things that happen with um Jeffrey Epstein and all that kind of stuff and you see it everyone's like oh no that's not believable but it probably did happen but it's just getting covered up you know um, that's right yeah and when you, when you think about it they they they're attacking children that um you know are less fortunate you know, it's easier to reel someone in that's less fortunate and doesn't come from a good background and it's easy to yeah. pers- it's easy to persuade um, it's easy yep, to get them across right. and that is that is something that's just straight up scary to be honest um, yeah that's right yeah and that's why we're saying putting in those preventative measures and stuff like that um, but do you think sporting clubs in general because there are a lot like there are a lot of kids hundreds of kids running around the park every single Saturday every single Sunday um, how can they how can they make those environments safer or is it just with the parents because I remember as a kid I used to get dropped off and say, used to stay at the Oval all day. And yeah, yeah, my mom just expected that I was at the Oval all day and we were just playing footy and watching all the footy games. And um, looking back on it, now every kid did that. Every parent did that. Yeah. But looking back on it, is it really the safest method? No, I think I think there has to be a organisational decision which says we don't want to see children abused, therefore we're going to do everything we can to create safer environments for children. Parents are included in that, absolutely. And the way parents are included in that is to ask the right questions of the organisation to make sure that their child is going to be safe. You know, we've we've developed um, on our resource page on childsafe.org.au, we've developed uh, five safety questions for for parents. You know, questions like, does the organisation have a code of conduct? Um, or and child safe policy. Where are you storing my my child's data? Yep. Um, how are you involving my children in decision making processes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so these type of questions, you know, it will be a big deal when parents actually say you can't answer these questions, and you should be saying yes to all these questions. Um, and it's such a big deal and it's so important to us that we are not going to allow our child to go to that club. Yeah. 
because we take this stuff seriously. So we're trying to get that fire safety question resource into every single hand in Australia. Because and just make it a every single parent's hand. Yeah, that's right. And so if they start asking questions of the club, the club goes, "Oh, wow! Like parents really kind of care about this stuff. Yeah. Oh, we better get our stuff together." Yeah. You know. Well, most clubs probably um, never really thought about it, to be honest. No, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do trainings, and I say to them, "So, who can answer these five questions?" And they go, "Oh, I can answer one, two, or three, but four or five, there's no way we haven't." Yeah. And I said, well, you need to be able to answer yes to every one of these because parents are asking these questions. Yeah. And parents, when was the last time you asked this question? And they said, oh, I'll never ask this question. Because here's the thing is that trust in Australia has gone in organisations, right? Yeah. Like it's gone because the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, because of the amount of abuse that's happened, you know, trust in churches has disappeared, you know, all those sort of things. And parents are more wary we perceive, right? We perceive that to be more wary. But the truth is that being more wary doesn't mean like just saying, oh, so, um, you know, is someone going to be there to look after my child? Being more wary is actually saying, I'm going to ask these questions to make sure that my child is actually safe. And so, and, and organizations need to take responsibility to say, uh, we're going to do everything we can and make sure we communicate it. And so what happens normally with us is that when we get a child, um, a organisation comes on board with us, we invite them to put something on Facebook to, to, to let parents know, to let, um, let their organisation and the community know that this is what they're doing because, one, it wards off perpetrators. So perpetrators who are trying to slip in that organisation because they know things aren't right and start to groom kids and, and hurt children, um, they're going to go think twice about it because they're like, oh, hang on a sec, they're signing up the child's safe, therefore I can't get in so easy because I've got some processes in place now. Yeah. Um, two, to show the community that this is actually serious stuff and we're passionate about it. And three, to actually involve the parents in the process of this to say, hey, we're in this together and it's a, it's a, um, a co-space when it comes to making sure your children are safe. It's not just letting the kids go run wild and go, yeah, we'll go to the footy oval and, and hang out with everyone and I'll pick you up at five o'clock. Is actually going, okay, that's an unsafe thing to do. It's yeah. really important that you are aware where your children are. Yeah. You know, I, I've got many, many different stories in sporting clubs that I could tell you. I mean, one of the ones that I think is probably the most heartbreaking, and this is a, a true story from the Royal Commission told to us by um, one of the Royal Commissioners, he said um, there was a, a like a footy club and uh, there was this guy called the rubdown guy, right? And uh, the rubdown guy was the guy that the players, the kids would come into the room, he'd rub them down and um, like with oil and things like that and then send them out on the field, right? You know, that's just normal practice um, for a lot of footy clubs. But the thing is about this guy was that he wouldn't rub them down he would strip them naked, um, then rub them down, sexually abuse them, send them out in the club rooms and then send them out in the field. And the thing that the worst part about that story is that the club knew it was happening, even the parents knew it was happening, the community. And do you know why they let it happen? Is because one, this guy was an upstanding, was, was said to be an upstanding person in the community did a lot in the community and was not community and also because the boys were winning. And so 
this club put the winning of the um, of the sport, the winning of the games, way before the child's safety. And eventually, um, this guy was actually convicted of multiple accounts of, of uh, sexual assault, um, and uh, and the club was was indicted a number of different things. But that's the thing is that um, what you tolerate, you'll get. And so if you tolerate abuse or you tolerate um, people that are, um, are displaying signs of predatory behaviour or anything like that, you'll get that in your organisation. If you tolerate the fact that there is no code of conduct and, and no child safe policy and we're not training our people and we're not going to screen our volunteers or anything like that, then what are you going to get? You're going to get people that want to hurt children and know that they can get in mm. to those clubs. <laughs> that just kind of makes me um, a little bit angry of the stupidity of the parents, <laughs> knowing yep. That, yep. That, that that is beyond belief to me. It actually makes me angry hearing that, thinking how stupid can those parents be? It's actually, really com- it's actually really common because the thing is, is that two things we find is that parents want to live their dreams through their children. So therefore they treat their children um, without a voice. And so they get them up really, really early and take them swimming, even though their child has said, no, I don't want to do this anymore or whatever it is. Um, and so that, that, that could be actually abuse. Mm-hmm. One situation I saw, um, or I, I, sorry, I heard of um, was um, a parent uh, a child got smacked in the nose in a footy game and um, the parent just came up to him, wiped his nose, wiped the blood off his nose and said, just get back out there. Um, you know, no kind of compassion of, oh, man, are you all right? Are you, are you okay? No, just get back out there kind of thing. And, you know, he was best on ground because of, of um, you know, he, he was the best on the ground, so therefore he had to show that. And So I think that and then also um, – and also that expectation that, you know, 97% of people know their attacker. But the thing is, unknown to their child, their, their attacker, the reality is that um, the parents probably know them too. Yeah. And so their assumption is that, you know, the child's going to be safe or, or whatever it is. And it's not, it's not actually the case all the time. So, you know, abusive parents on footy sporting fields and is, is awful. It's absolutely awful, sporting fields. It, it, me being brought up in team sports, it's um, hearing it now is just a big eye opener, really. As I um, you know, you you don't as a child, you don't really um, I guess look at it that way. Saying oh, that's no, just, no, that's just mum, that's just dad, that's just my coach, it's just how he is. But you never really look at it like that until you grow older and wiser and stuff like that. And saying that, I'm only 22, so I don't really, I'm still learning massively and you know, educating myself on all this stuff. But, mate, um, I just want you to tell me a bit more about SP3, the child safe motto kind of thing. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, we're getting rid of that title, um, but we are saying it, the SP3 is basically safe people, safe programs, safe places. So what we're saying is that when people put, when they train their train and screen um, their volunteers, when they put our, our system, our safety management online system in place, which includes screening and incident reporting, um, uh, developing programs and managing those, risk management practices, um, 
using our guides and our tools and and those sorts of things that you will create safe people as in people that are going to be looking after children and the right people so in sporting clubs what we find and other organizations as well it's like hey you've got breath in your lungs you could be a volunteer here rather than is that the right person to be looking after the children right mm. so we teach people how to screen to make sure they're safe and so we screen them we say two reference checks as well as work with children check or depending on what state you're in um and and that is a good base level for what they should be doing so that's your safe people your um safe programs is actually saying hey uh, instead of just running a program, whether it be a game of footy or whether it be, you know, a camp or at a church or whatever it is, it's actually going, hey, let's take a step back and go, what have you got in place to make sure children aren't going to get injured, aren't going to get hurt, are going to have a voice, are going to be supported, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's that safe program sort of thing, that risk management perspective. And we've got tools to be able to enable that. And then safe places so that instead of, um, people just rocking up and going, yep, it's going to be safe and, you know, it's okay. It's actually going, okay, wh what's actually occurring here now? We need to review and think about that. So an example is, you know, a footy game, does someone actually go onto the ground before all the players, um, you know, before the, all the players get there, they might rock up two hours earlier, the groundskeeper or whoever it is, and make sure there's no divots in the ground or make sure there's no sticks spiking out or yep. no idiots put um, – you know, syringes, which I've heard before, they've dug syringes into a um, footy ground and, you know, and obviously that's a dangerous thing. You know, it's just it's just actually looking at the place and going, hey, let's take a step back and, and, and is this roof going to fall down? Is this fire extinguisher in front of a, um, you know, is there a chair in front of a fire extinguisher? Can we get to that? Is there a first aid kit available? You know, those sort of things. So you've got safe people, the right people to look after kids, safe programs, making sure they're safe to run and also like the ratios and those sorts of things are okay. Um, and also creating that safe place, making sure that it's actually safe for, for all children. So that's what the SP3 model is. But we're, we're going to take away the SP3. We're just going to say safe people, safe programs, safe places. Awesome. And what's the new what's the new model going to be? Oh, no, that, that, that will oh, that be, will be safe people, safe people. Yeah, okay, we're yeah. just taking away the word SP3. Yeah, oh, okay. Because we just found that every time we just had to explain it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. like, well, you know. And, and the thing is, as an organization, you know, it's important to adapt. Yeah. You know, so and, and also to continue to evolve as yeah. as um, things kind of change and, oh, of um, and change it up. Of course. Um, do you think the ratio... Um from male attackers to female attackers is quite, there's a dip, massive difference there? Uh, look, it is male uh, dominated yep. mo mainly, um, but no, female is up there as well. Yeah, I think um, there's, an, uh, there's an assumption or a myth that a, a male is the only one that is uh, programmed to hurt children. Yeah. The truth is that we're talking about when when you think about abuse, most people's mind goes to sexual abuse, right? Yeah. But the truth is, there's six different types of abuse. You know, there's yeah. emotional, spiritual abuse, there's physical abuse, there's mental abuse, yeah. there is um, neglect, etc., yeah. etc. And so there's all these different types of abuse. And the truth is, I know a lot of I, I've I know some mums that are neglecting their children, right? And and that is actually abuse. 
you know, people that are more interested in drinking than looking after children. And, and children are being left at school till, you know, all hours of the night because yeah. their mum is too drunk to pick them up. You know, that's neglect. That's yeah. a different type of abuse. Yes, there is sexual abuse as well. But I think when you talk about attackers or perpetrators, the reality is that, you know, um, you know, my own personal story is that I was abused by a child that was um, uh, you know, a couple of years older than me, you know, 18 months older than me. And uh, I was in school and I was groomed by this person um, and he was a child. So a lot of people don't talk about the fact that actually children can abuse children. And, uh, and that is as absolutely true because um, there's a number of incidents where uh, children have uh, raped other children um, and uh, there's been sexual abuse of all different times, but there's also been obviously bullying and physical abuse and, and all those sorts of things. Uh, but the reality is any kind of abuse is like a life, it feels like a life sentence for that child. Yeah, of course. And and um, and what we're trying to do is is prevent those life sentences for, for children. You you'd never um, really um you'd never really think that um I guess at a young age that uh, children would understand the repercussions I guess of what they're actually what their actions are. Um, mm. it does as you get to an older age, you do understand and and you know. Um, but it is very sad to see that um, those things that happen at a really young age, even as you're saying, children on children, that the effect of that it is happening to that um, child that was abused. Absolutely. What is actually happening to them getting brought up. And man, once again, it's a really scary thing. It's a really scary thing because you my son could just be playing in the yard and he could have a friend over or we have a family friend over and those these kind of things happen and you just don't think any I guess you don't really think anything of it until it gets brought up and they say hey you touched me there and all that kind of stuff but if like with children I guess some children that are in bad um I guess bad home situations um they won't really speak up and they'll live with it for the rest of their lives and then it actually gets brought out when they are, you know, 20, 25 years old and you reckon? Absolutely, yeah. The thing is, like I said, you know, if they don't disclose at a young age, it takes about 20, 25 years. I think it's 25 years is the average. I mean, it took me, I was abused when I was 10, 11. Um, It took me and up to 12. um, It took me until I was 20, I think, 21 to be able to tell someone because I actually uh, went to an adult mm-hmm. and uh, and I said to them that this is what's happening. I didn't know what it was abuse. I, I didn't, hadn't had any friends before and um, and this, this is the type of behaviour that was happening. I thought this was normal, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I shared with them and they said, oh, no, you're just experimenting. Wow. And so I did go to an adult. But they just said, oh, you're just experimenting. I mean, your hormones are going crazy and this, this, and this. And um, But when I was 21, I realized that I didn't really have many friends. The people that um, this person never spoke to me in school, only outside of school or in the boys' toilets when he wanted to do stuff, um, never wanted to know me any other time. Uh, there was just this real 
understanding of grooming. And look, my my hunch, and it doesn't excuse his behaviour, but my hunch is that he was trying to work out his own sexuality and he was using me to work that out, mm-hmm. um, which is disgusting. Like, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and I've dealt with what I've needed to deal with, but the reality is that um, it's incredibly common. I mean, there was a there was a Facebook group just set up recently I saw on the news and it was specifically designed for teenage boys to out girls and put up videos um, of their sexual experiences with girls where they had raped them or where they had whatever it is. And it's been taken down now. Um, but I saw that on the, on a news article somewhere and I just, I just, it broke my heart and I thought there's all these girls that, um, are acting and, and look, let me just touch on something that's really important when it comes to abuse. Children are learning their sexual behavior, including abusive through pornography. Pornographic sites are aiming at that 10 to 12-year-old because that is where the hormones begin to start to get rampant, right? And there's kids that are so addicted to pornography, they would rather stay at home, lie to their parents who are going out for dinner um, with the rest of their family to say, no, I feel sick, so they can stay at home and look at pornography. And so what's happening is um, these girls, like, don't understand either, And so, therefore, these guys or these girls are looking at pornography to learn their sexual experiences coming together and it's getting rougher and um, more hurtful. And now GPs are so concerned at the sexual injuries of, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds that it can only be from pornography or being shown that behaviour of some, some kind. And so the thing is, is that, a lot of the rape that is happening um, to teenagers is outworked because of what they're seeing um, and the violence and, you know, and those sorts of things. And so these sexual positions, these sexual um, places that they're, they're being um, abused in is in ways that are seen on, on pornographic sites by other um, teenagers and, and other adults and those sorts of things. And I know that's really disgusting to say on this yeah. podcast, but but the truth is that that we can't just say it's an adult abusing a child because, yeah. yes, that does happen more, than, more often than not, yeah. but children are abusing children all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, we say it again, it's a, it's a very, very scary thing that, um, doesn't really, yeah, get spoken about that all often. Um, yeah. The Neil, I just want to touch on something. You know, we we don't have to talk about it if you want, but your healing process of um, was there a healing process to, you know, going what you went through? How how was that whole journey, and then to to healing and becoming so passionate about this that you really, oh, I need to do something. Yeah. Look, I um. I guess after the realization, I was pretty angry because I actually went through a period of, and this was in the 80s so or early 90s, so um, I went through a period after that as it when I was you know, 11, 12, um, where I actually thought I had sexually transmitted diseases because it was in that 
that um, that time where AIDS was just really, really huge. And so for me, I thought that that's actually something I had and I started seeing symptoms and things like that. Now, I didn't have AIDS, but my mind was going in that place because I thought, oh, maybe this is, this is happening. Um, and so I now know why... Um, why I was a person that had to be in a relationship with a female every week, you know, like, you know, I used to change my relationships, like I changed my socks kind of thing. You know, I was, it was really unhealthy. And when I was 21, um, I realized that, uh, that actually that's what my motivation was to act sexually with these women um, and to go about that in that way and uh, always be in a relationship. I lacked love. I lacked support in, in understanding what love really meant. Um, and I guess for me, uh, and, you know, I, I don't have any issue with saying this, but um, when I was 21 years old, I, I became a Christian. And, um, and what I did was uh, I was at a church service and this person was speaking and I was incredibly angry at him and I came and spoke to him after and and the long and the short of it is that we realised that actually I wasn't angry at him, I was angry at this person that um, had hurt me because it had brought up a number of different things. And so I had to go through a bit of a process um, where I was actually able to forgive him and um, that was something that... I never thought I'd be able to do, but I did, and I do. Um, I'm not afraid to admit that. I doesn't forgiveness doesn't excuse someone's behaviour, but it does help you to be able to move forward, so that you can forgive other people and you can be forgiven as well in terms of just just everyday relationships yeah. that we make mistakes in. Sometimes we're so bent on holding on to our own unforgiveness that we just feel like we can't forgive anyone else. And do you know what? When If I couldn't forgive this person, it would just be this big hole or big, big lump in my heart that goes, there's something there that needs to move forward. Um, I never really saw a counsellor per se, um, but when I started in this job, um, I actually was doing some training in Adelaide and I was in my hotel room and um, I remember waking up at four o'clock in the morning just in tears and I rang my wife and I said, I don't know what's going on and and, um, I'm just so sad and broken for all these people that have been abused and I'm I'm just, I feel so sad about what's happened to me and things like that And, and what my wife did is she was able to support me at four o'clock in the morning and it's a miracle she even woke up <laughs> to be honest with you um, and and just to work through that with me and and so sometimes it gets pretty heavy because I sometimes do share my story because it helps to um, helps to relate or uh, if I'm vulnerable then other people in the room might be vulnerable you know yeah. uh, and so sometimes I do share that and sometimes it is quite heavy and I do get heavy and so that's why I run, Um, not just because of that, but I run and it helps me just to clear the mind and and those sorts of things. So, 
And the other thing I think as well is Damien Ryder has a book called um, One Breath Meditation and uh, it's all about recognising your breath in the midst of whatever you're going through. And, and I've kind of started doing that um, at different times just to be recognising my breath. And I'm not sure how that helps in terms of healing my abuse story, but what it does help is it helps me to just breathe and, and be calm in a moment when it could be a whole bunch of turmoil. Yeah. I think your your story, when when you tell it, it, I guess it gives people perspective as to why you are so passionate about what is going on because it is a very, very powerful story of healing and um, finding yourself and finding out the reasons why this happened and forgiveness and and my um my partner Brooke she always says um it's ex- it's some she always says this because she works in psychology in criminal psychology and um it's explainable wow. it's explainable but not excusable. Yep. And that to me right. yeah that to me makes so much sense. But then um even sometimes when they try to explain it you're still like what the f? <laughs> I still yeah, no, I, totally. I still don't understand it. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, look, I've spoken to people who said, I'll never forgive them. Yeah. You know, I'll never, ever forgive them, ever. And um, and that's each to their own in that. But I know that I feel so much more at peace knowing that I have forgiven them. Yeah. And because some people think, oh, it's going to let them off the hook, you know. It's like, oh, that means that they've, you know, what they've done, they could just, you know, you could just forgive them every time. Yeah. But the reality is that that's not actually the case. It's a case-by-case circumstance. I have to stress that because some people just might not be able to get moved forward in that and it might take heaps and heaps of years. I mean, I've got one um, one friend who is a lawyer and uh, he's working with a case at the moment with a 93, 93-year-old um, where his abuse case is before the courts at the moment, as in he is the abused person as a child and he's now 93 years old um and uh and working with a lawyer to to work that through and to get compensation from that school or from that church or from whatever and like 93 years old you're holding on to that 93 years old i know people Mm. that have who never they knew like you know their daughter or whatever it is knew that they had been sexually abused as a child but they had never ever told it and they died with that information. Wow. And so I guess the thing is each person has their own um, way of working through it. I mean, you know, Damon Ryder, um, he, <laughs> his healing process happened on a, on a um, you know, Kulangat at a Bondi um, paddleboard, yeah. uh, you know, getting nearly eaten by sharks, you know, yeah. each to their own. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, mine was more of probably a spiritual experience. Yeah. Um, and so I think every case is, is different. But the thing that I will have to say is that it's really important. If you have experienced any kind of abuse in any way, it is important that you speak up and you speak to the police or you speak to someone you trust and work this through. Yeah. Um, because if you do, you will have a way more fuller life than if you didn't. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I guess um, the forgiveness um, might not it might not have anything to do with your abuser, but the forgiveness is to make you more fulfilled, that 
you, yeah. you you don't necessarily have to go to the your abuser and say I forgive you. It's it's not about no. that. No, it's not about I've that at all. I've never done that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I've never it's done about that. um. Yeah. It's about you know I I forgive you. That's in myself. It makes me feel better. And and yeah. and, and I totally agree with that I I love that um that you can overlook that kind of stuff and mm. and and say I I do forgive you. Obviously um it, it's pretty hard to forget. But that's why the forgiveness comes into play and, and works a very, very powerful note in your mind, which is good. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, let, talk a little bit about um, Damien Ryder's book, One Meditation. I'm, I'm yet to read and I'm trying to find it on Audible. Um, what is it that you loved about the book and would you highly recommend it to anyone else who, you know, has been sexually abused or actually just needs to... Uh, is hurting inside and and needs to find fulfillment and calm down a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a great book. Um, I think the thing that I liked about it was the honesty. You see, what he did is he was told that you would have to live with this for the rest of your life and um, by psychologists, by people that um, you would think that would have his back kind of thing. But... Um, and so he searched, he, his healing came when he was, you know, paddleboarding and doing crazy um, adventures and things like that. And um, and I guess the thing is when he wrote that book, he, he put tools in place and this has actually helped him move. And so I think for me, the thing that, that I was, um, I guess, encouraged by was the fact that just by stopping, and not running so fast and actually noticing your breath and your chest going up and down and, you know, in and out, it can actually cause you uh, quite an amazing peace yeah. and also can stop all the thoughts that are running so clearly in your mind and actually just focus on one particular thing. And I think... Because a lot of people that are abused, you carry it everywhere you go. Yeah. You can't get away from it. It's it's on you. It's in you. It's around you. I mean, I know that sounds. This sounds really weird, but right now I can still smell that guy. Yeah. I still remember his smell, and if I close my eyes, I could still smell it. And that's the weirdest thing that I can never. I, I can't. I can't put it into a greater words than that, but it's strange, and I don't have an answer for that. But, but, but what I've found is that you know when I breathe, and I've started having like at the end of my shower, I've started having um, like putting it to cold, yeah, and um, and trying to just breathe through that just for just for thirty seconds, you know, yeah. and just um, yeah, just allowing and just trying to uh, control my breath in that moment. And so for me, I've found that uh, the one breath meditation is to, to just focus on that one breath. Wherever you are, you can actually move forward. And I would highly recommend that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think Amazon has it. Um, I'm not sure where else has it, yeah. Yeah, I actually can't, I can't find it on Audible, so I was going um, to message Damien and ask him about it because I, I thought it'd be up there. Yeah, because I know he's got a, a book contract in New York and stuff now, so yeah. I think they hold on to it or whatever. So okay. yeah, just message him. And yeah. Um, yeah, for those people listening, um, 
if you want to research Damien Ryder and you've been through something that's really, really tough, please don't just go out paddleboarding for 800 kilometers and think that you're going to make it. Um, Damien is a <laughs> Damien is Damien is a one of a kind human being and he's um, a highly trained endurance athlete and um, he has the right team around him and he knows what he's doing. So that's just a little disclosure. A closure of do not go and do that, please. Yeah, do not try this at home. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Neil, I'm really excited to excited for what we have in the future and what's to come. Um, we're going to make a little announcement in the in the coming weeks when it gets a bit um, closer to the training block time and all that kind of stuff. And I'm I'm really I've I've been really excited to have have met you and be able to and really grateful to sit down with you and and have these proper chats. You know, you being a busy man, the CEO of um, Child Safe Australia. It, um, I am really grateful that you're taking your time to come sit with me. You know, tell the world about what is actually going on, proper facts, and how Child Safer are trying to implement um, preventative measures so this does not happen in our society. And, mate, I just want to say thank you, and I, I appreciate your time and, and your efforts that you're putting into this cause. Thank you. No worries, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Mate, I'm sure we're going to be in contact in the in the coming days and coming weeks and let's get this thing launched i reckon world's strongest marathon 2021 absolutely man substituting normality